Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, and we're going to be concluding our series of parables today. It has been a wild ride. Uh, parables is, are very disruptive to me personally. I don't know how you have experienced them over the course of the m- past five weeks, but uh, I find myself um, listening, as Brian spoke last week, um, as I have been engaging in the Gospels in some of these Uh, very abstract, at times very straightforward, narratives that Jesus speaks. And still to this day, uh, Jesus just puts a mirror right in front of me and interrupts my life with a good old-fashioned story. Uh, And that's what I love about following him. So um, I'm going to read Luke chapter 12, and we're going to be in verses 16 through 21. Here's the word of the Lord. Someone from the crowd said to him, Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, he said to him, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, exclamation point. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for story. We thank you, Jesus, uh, for, your, for your wisdom. And we also thank you, Lord, for your disruption. Lord, would you uh, interrupt us today? Holy Spirit, come, move. Uh, get in our business. And Lord, I pray that we would leave here different than when we walked in. In Jesus' name, amen. So Luke 12 brings us to Jesus and a crowd around him, which isn't very unusual. And I can just picture in this crowd a man wanting Jesus to kind of answer. He didn't really ask him a question, more of a statement, basically shouting at him and saying, hey, so uh, my brother has my inheritance and I, I want what's mine. Like, what do I do? 
And Jesus so quickly replies to him, like, am I a judge? <laughs> do, do I look like a lawyer? Like, why, like what, are you, what are you doing? But instead of waiting for this man to respond, Jesus goes in and quickly turns it into a teaching moment. And this reminded me a little bit of the words of Paul. And what did that was that in the moment where someone just happens to kind of air a grievance before Jesus, wanting Jesus to kind of take their side, Jesus does what Jesus does so well, is that he goes straight to the heart. He puts up a mirror. And he puts up a mirror to exactly what we mean by what we say. Now, Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 says this, Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know is partial and incomplete. But then I know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. See, when we're in the presence of Jesus, we can't help but to see our parsh, the partial reflections of our heart for what they are, because he's truth. Jesus is clarity. He is a perfect mirror. And when we stand in his presence, he reflects the, the, the jagged parts of us, the imperfect parts of us, and also the parts of us that probably aren't as good as we think they, think they are. See, I think the grace and mercy in parables are just this. They're mirrors placed before us. And Jesus takes some very uh, proactive, sometimes um, odd, but at other times very intentional steps to show us just exactly how far we are from where we should be. And in that moment, we have a choice to make. We can either run and hide, or we can sit in the presence of Jesus, completely known, and respond. So the thing that I think is really interesting about this passage lies in verse 16. And it's this idea that this man has built success on his own. And that's not what the scripture is saying. What it's saying here is that the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. The man himself did not yield any success for himself. The ground that he owned did. And this put him on a trajectory of a bit of a downward spiral. Because all of a sudden, his gaze changed. His gaze changed and all of a sudden, he needed to control his success. And so what does he do? He's, he tears everything down and he builds bigger barns than what he has. He makes more room to store more things so that he can keep to himself his success, his yield, his crop. 
And so the question came to me as I'm reading this. What concerns me the most with the things that I have accumulated in my life? Where does my security come from? Where does my insecurity come from? See, what is interesting also is that there's nothing in these short verses that have anything to do other than this man. It's all about him. We don't see a community. We don't see neighbors. We don't see a family. We just see his concern. And we see him making a plan for himself on how he is going to hoard the success and keep it for him for his life. And the question that keeps coming to me as I read this over and over again, because this is a pretty straightforward narrative. And so I was asking the Lord as I was reading this and sitting in this, I'm like, okay, God, so things bad, um, you know, death's coming. Kind of this like progression that gets pretty dramatic really quickly. You know, all of a sudden, this man is very successful. He starts building, you know, crazy things, and then he he just dies all of a sudden. Um, It's a little bit of a whiplash. Uh, And I was like, okay, Jesus, so in these like three verses, we get it. Um, You know, don't get too comfortable because death's coming. And what the Holy Spirit kept on bringing back to me was the very last part of this verse, which is in verse 21. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. And I was thinking to myself, what does that even mean? (laughs) What does it mean to be rich toward God? Does it mean to give to the poor? Does it mean to live communally? Like, I, 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 sure. But it was a little bit perplexing to me as I was digging into the scripture. What does it mean to be rich toward God? Something very interesting about Luke, the gospel that we're in right now, and Luke is a person, he confronts wealth continually in his gospel and in the book of Acts. So Acts is coming, following the Gospels. It's the acts of the church, the early church, kind of all the things that they did. And part of the first part of this book, you see how people are extreme with their generosity. Like it says that they would bring everything they had to the front of the church and nothing that they had themselves was theirs, but it was all, it was kind of this utopia. Like everything belonged to everyone. And you kind of think, well, that's kind of cool. Like, that's ideal. Um, But then you read on further, and then there's these two people that, you know, kind of lie about what they have and said, oh, yeah, that's everything that we have. But they really kind of stashed them away, and then they drop dead. Um, So, again, whiplash, right? Luke is intent on disrupting the security that we have in the things of this world, and it's jarring. And what I find so spectacular about how Jesus paints this narrative is that 
you know, this question that this man just kind of yells out from the crowd about not getting what he deserves gets kind of turned on him. And Jesus, instead of saying, oh, yeah, bro, like, that's not fair. I'm super sorry. Like, yeah, let's, let's go, like, meet with your brother, and we'll, we'll take care of him. Like, we'll deal with him. No. He begins to take layer by layer apart what is really at the heart of that statement. And it's greed. It's security. It's a false sense that you're in control of your resource. See, the propensity that we have is that we want to build. We want to expand. We want an empire. And Jesus is deconstructing that. And he's like, are you sure? Are you sure? Because if you follow that, I will tell you where it leads to. Death. There is nothing of legacy in things built by our hands. The thing that Jesus is pointing his followers and this crowd to is something a little bit bigger, but not very sexy. And I think that's why he automatically bridges this with death. Now, I have to say that the, what was interesting about us ending this week was that if you read our first devotional for our 40 Days of Lent, uh, this verse is that devotional. And Walter Wangren does a great job of kind of underscoring this, um, the heart of this man saying, like, your soul is demanded of you. Because what Jesus is ultimately saying is this. If you don't trust me with your resource, you don't really trust me with your life. Because I say when it's time And ultimately, I yield the fruit of success of the things that is required for you to sustain life and also when life comes to an end. That's my job. And it brings us back to the very first passage that we looked at in our series of parables, Matthew 13, the parable of parables, which is the sower. The seeds that are being sowed in the ground, are they our seeds? No. They're sowed by the Father. So Jesus is pointing everyone back to where the source is. And I'm going to tell you this, church. If we believe this at our core, then following Jesus will take a dramatic turn in our life. I mean, like the invitation in discipleship will dramatically be altered because even in, even in studying this for myself, the Lord put a huge mirror in front of my face and said, Janelle, like, what are the things that you're withholding? 
What are the things that you feel are secure that you haven't quite just like opened your hand to yet? Moving to New York, it's hard to move to New York and be stingy at the same time, I will say that. Um, the journey coming specifically to New York City and even coming from the West Coast to Boston, that was its own journey. But this past year, living in New York, even last night, driving from the beach where we were, Emily and I had like taken just an hour, a couple hours to like Sabbath. And I think we probably got three tickets on our way home, maybe. Um, <laughs> like school zones on a Sunday, who does that? Nowhere else but New York City. Um, $50 gone. <laughs> it was a journey. We were there, yeah, it was a journey. Um, the thing is, is that the Lord is always confronting what is at the root of our heart through Scripture. And generosity and our money is a big indicator of what we truly follow. Because when we say, God, all we have is yours, truly, how can we really get taken advantage of? How can we get something stolen from us? How can something be wasted? It can't because it's his. And the invitation that keeps coming after, but is Jesus always saying, Janelle, you need to trust me. And part of this process of even like coming in and being a part of parish ministry again, I was just sitting with Steph at a coffee shop and kind of just talking about, she asked me, she said, what, was, what, what made you say yes to coming back and working at a church from being on and doing campus ministry for close to 10 years? And I was like, that's a really good question. And here it is. There is something required in your heart that you have to die to in order to serve God's people. In order to serve a community well, it is a journey of death in some ways. And it's not easy. And the journey for me and the Lord coming back into parish ministry after being gone for 10 years and not working with college students and colleagues and um, people for the most part who weren't Christian was the Lord putting a mirror up to my face saying, do you trust my church? Do you trust me? Do you trust the space? And I got to tell you, some days, no. Some days it was really hard and I wanted to like, and I want to hold tight and be like, mm, no, 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 like I'm good. And the Lord's like, no, no, no. I'm not asking you to build bigger spaces around these things. I'm asking you to open your hand and to live a generous life. And it's not fair. And sometimes you get hurt. And sometimes you think, wow, it's, that investment's going south really quickly. <laughs> and the Lord's like, do you trust me? 
Eugene Peterson so wisely writes, time is holy. I love this quote. He says, but how often do you ever hear anyone say so? Maybe more likely you hear time is money. And time like money is something that you mostly feel you don't have enough of ever. On occasion when you have time in which nothing is scheduled, you will kill time. So odd, right? So on Wednesday, our journey with Lent begins. And this 40-day pilgrimage that leads us to Easter where we fast, pray, contemplate, and sit in our mortality, we will be imposed with ashes, and we will say to you, from dust you came and from dust you will return. Sounds like a great tagline for a great Easter sermon, right? Um, This invitation and this witness that Jesus is inviting us to, he fulfilled first out of love for us that culminated with a sacrifice marked by our sin, our betrayal, and his abandonment. See, in a world where we're building things to store, to hoard, Jesus is asking us to plant a garden In an empire where people were oppressed, Jesus is deconstructing that and saying, "Mm -mm. how's your soil looking? Let's talk about a sower. Let's talk about seed. Like, what are you talking about? Like, don't don't you see the sky over here? Like, they're bullying us around. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. How's the soil of your heart? What, what kind of crop are you reaping? Where's your security? What does it mean to be rich toward God? The invitation Jesus is inviting us to is not to be, build bigger storehouses, but to plant, to germinate, and to grow things that we might never reap the benefit of. Jesus is asking us to follow him to a garden. A garden where he prayed. And he poured himself out and said, take this cup from me. Leaving him vulnerable. Leaving his life out before the Father leaving his fear open. But in that moment, as Jesus laid it all out in the garden before the Father, and he said, not my will, but your will be done. At that moment, what could he be robbed from? His friends were gone. His disciples had left. And They were coming for him. And Jesus said, I have work to do. And he went to a cross. At the end of Matthew 13, I find this so interesting because, again, that question, Lord, what does it mean to be rich toward God? And I found my answer 
it means this. In Matthew 13, verse 51 through 53, it says this. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, Have you understood all these things? Yes, they told him. Therefore, he said to them, Every student of scripture instructed in the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who brings out of his storeroom what is new and what is old. When Jesus had finished these parables, he left there. To be rich toward God means we don't have storehouses. Church, we don't store it. We lay it all out, old and new. And we say, God, use it all. I'm not building anything to hoard. I'm bringing it all out. And I'm saying, not my will, but your will. Church, this is so difficult. Because everything around us and everything inside us is discipling us to do the exact opposite. What I love about the interaction between this man and Jesus is that Jesus didn't call this man a fool. He called him friend. When he asked him, and Jesus knew the intent of his heart, Jesus said, friend, let me tell you a story. But also, friend, in this story, you have a choice to make. You have two paths. You can go the way of the fool, or you can follow me. And so church, as we wrap up our time and as we commission ourselves into 40 days of walking the road with Jesus in Lent toward Easter, towards resurrection, my heart for you is that the Holy Spirit would begin to unearth and be a mirror in spaces and places of your heart where Jesus is like, hey, friend, you have a choice to make. Are you going to go the way of the fool? Or are you going to follow me? Are you going to hold it close? Or are you going to lay it all out? I'd love for the communion ushers to come forward and to the, for the worship team to come up. Friends, as we come to the table together and receive communion, I want to leave you with this. One chapter before Jesus' words in Luke 12, in Luke 11, the disciples asked Jesus a question. And it's a very sweet one. They say, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And I think the journey of parables and the journey of how Jesus confronts us can be summed up so much in, his, in, his, in how he teaches them to pray. And he says this. He said to them, Wherever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. 
for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us, and do not bring us into temptation. Church, my prayer is that this is more than just words, but that this is the invitation of how we are to live over the next 40 days. That God in his grace and mercy would disrupt us in a holy way. That the areas of our life where we feel overly secure or maybe insecure, the Holy Spirit would enter in and say, would you pour yourself out and trust me? Would you let me into this space? Would you be generous with me and allow me to do what I do, which is flourish, which is to heal, which is to mend? And as we look and as we get ashes imposed on us this week and as we sit in the contemplation of our mortality, May we know that our lives are not our own, that he is the keeper of all that sustains us, and that he is inviting us not just to journey with him into death, but to journey with him also into resurrection, and that your life as you walk out these doors is a witness to something that can never be taken that can never be destroyed, but it is a legacy and it is, it, is, it is fruit that will continue to yield way after we're gone. So Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you, God, for the mirrors in our life through your presence through your church, Lord God, through your scripture. And God, I pray, Father, as we are commissioned, Lord God, to walk with you, um, Lord, would you, through your Holy Spirit, give us the wisdom, give us courage to continue to follow you. Lord, you don't ask for adherence. Yeah, you don't ask for groupies. You ask for followers. And so, Lord... Um, we pray that we would follow you into places and spaces, Lord, that might leave us uncomfortable. And Lord God, that might even be painful. We thank you for your presence in Jesus' name. Amen.